Well, good morning, River Ridge. How you guys doing? Good to see you guys again. Hey, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 2. We will get there in just a few minutes. But we are continuing in this series that we've entitled More Than Happy, where we are going all in into the book of Philippians and tackling it verse by verse. And what that means, we're going to tackle it a couple of different ways. We're going to handle some of the passages here on Sunday morning during the messages. But then throughout the week, we've prepared for you a a journal and and a reading guide There are plenty of them out in the lobby. Grab one of those. And what that allows you to do is to work your way through on your own or in the context of of a home group, work through the book of Philippians and let it seep into into your heart. So if you missed out last week, I know we ran out of those journals. We got more of them. There's plenty out in the lobby. Grab one of those and join with us in this study through the book of Philippians. And the reason why we are doing this series in particular is that if you talk to people about their dreams or about the dreams that they have for their kids. Inevitably, one of the things that will come up is, I just want to be happy, or I just want my kids to be happy. And and if you Google how to be happy, you'll find right at the very top, you'll find 23 ways to be happy, 10 scientifically proven ways to be incredibly happy, five tips for a happy 2018. And and a lot of them will end up repeating a lot of the same things over and over again. You need to have an optimistic outlook on life. You need to smile more. You need to exercise more. You need to think positive thoughts. There are all these tips out there. There are are all these guides out there, but happiness seems to be one of those things that, that seems to elude us. And it's because happiness is based on circumstances. Uh, last year, Gallup measured the, the happiness quotient of all 50 states. And what they did is they, they looked at some of these external measurements. They looked at, at income uh, and health and opportunities and the, the health of people's relationships. Anyone want to guess what the happiest state in the union is? Hawaii, yeah, not, not a big shocker, right? <laughs> but, but even they only scored 65 out of 100. That, that's a D on uh, the, the happiness scale. The point is, is that we need more than these external circumstances to really get us to a place of joy. And that's why the Bible teaches that it's possible to be more than happy, that it's possible to experience a joy. The, the key verse in all of Philippians is found in Philippians 4, 4, where Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Paul says that it's possible to actually have joy in all circumstances, that, that it's possible to have this kind of joy in our life that transcends the ups and the downs and the negative circumstances that happen in life. So we're taking some time to look at this book of Philippians and how it is that we can actually have this kind of lasting joy in our lives. Last week we learned that, that joy is a choice that we make, and Andy gave us three questions to ask ourselves so that we can look at circumstances and come out of those circumstances with joy. If you missed last week, I'd highly recommend you go back online and take a look at that and get caught up to speed with us. This week's message is titled, More Than Me. And it's all about finding joy by putting others first. Now, I'm a, I'm a pretty competitive guy. I'm competitive with just about everything. And so when I hear that there is joy by putting others first, I, I want to push back a little bit because I, I just like to win. I like to be first at everything. And it doesn't really matter what it is. It, if it's basketball or checkers or Uno, I play to win. Uh, our, our little guy, Daniel, has gotten really big into Mario Kart. So he's always asking me and Sarah to, to play with him. And a, a few weeks ago, 
he was playing Sarah, and he actually was winning the race. And he looked at her and he said, it's okay, Mom. Uh, I'll stop and just let you catch up with me. And in my head, I'm going, man, that, that is so cute. But there is no way in the world that I'm doing that. I am in it to win it. I See, I, I want to be first in everything. And so I'm a little bit skeptical when I hear someone say that there's joy in being second. And, and maybe you are too. I mean, no girl wants to be the second choice to go to prom with a guy, right? No one wants to be the one that almost got the promotion. No one wants to be the one that came in second and, and getting hired. We want to be first. And we think that if we win more often, if we, if we come in first more often, then we'll be happier. But the Bible tells us that there is lasting joy in being second. When we walk through life with this other's first mentality. I, I think a great way to remember this is to, is to look at the, the definition of joy in this way. To prioritize our lives as Jesus, others, yourself. And what Paul is going to unpack for us in this passage of Scripture is that the way to experience life to its fullest is to walk through life by putting God first and others second and putting ourselves last. And so I want to walk through some practical ways for us to make this a reality in our lives. So we'll pick up in Philippians chapter 2 and we'll start in verse 3. Paul says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Paul starts off and he says that if you want to find lasting joy, the first thing that you have to do, and if you're taking notes, is that we need to check our lives for joy killers. He, he gives us a, a couple of warnings, a couple of these joy killers that will erode joy out of our lives and out of our relationships. And, and these can creep into our lives without us even being aware. So we have to really guard against it and take an honest look in the mirror sometimes. The first that he says is selfish ambition. And this is simply putting your needs above somebody else's needs. There's nothing wrong with ambition. There's nothing wrong with drive. But when your ambition leaves a wake of broken relationships, then it's sinful and it's harmful. And this one really hits home for me. My type A personality, it makes a bent towards being task-driven, being task-oriented, and I found that in this season of my life in particular that I have become hyper-task-oriented. And what that causes me to do is to evaluate how good the day went based on how closely it followed my agenda and how many things I got marked off of my to-do list. And what it can do is cause me to elevate tasks and agenda over relationships. And, and I was reminded through a couple of tough conversations this week from, from some people that, that I love dearly, that because of this task-driven attitude of mine, that they felt shut out, that they felt disconnected from me. And I think that is the inevitable outcome of selfish ambition. We, we strive to put ourselves first, and we leave the people that we love the most behind. And it's causing me to become more keenly aware of the dangerous side, the, the sinful side of my personality and my drive, and that I have to guard against that. The other joy killer that Paul highlights for us is, is vain conceit. And this is an interesting phrase in the Greek. Uh, the word vain literally means empty or lacking substance. And then conceit means having a high opinion of yourself. 
So if you combine those two, then it's talking about a person who has a high opinion of themselves, but for no good reason, that, that they pretend to be something that they're not. And I think this lands squarely in our day and age, especially when it comes to social media. I, I think if Paul were talking to us today, he'd say, hey, when you make that post on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, do nothing out of vain conceit. Don't try to puff yourself up by pretending like life is just going great for you right now. I think he'd say when you're talking to a coworker or you're talking to a friend about someone else who isn't there, do nothing out of vain conceit. Don't belittle them so that you can feel better about yourself. Paul is saying that the joy that you're looking for, that the joy that will transcend circumstances is found in healthy relationships. So keep guard over your heart so you don't let these things creep in and harm the relationships that matter the most to you. Instead, look at what he says at the end of verse 3. He says, instead, in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Paul says that we are to consider others better than ourselves. Here's what I want you to do. I want, you don't have to say the words out loud, but I want you to look at the person beside of you and think this thought, you are better than me. Now, now some of you right now are thinking, there is no way that I think that. There's, I know them. I am much better than it, it, but isn't it easy? I mean, it's easy to go through life comparing ourselves to other people and always coming out on top. It's easy to have that kind of attitude. But Paul says that we need to flip the script and that we need to begin considering others better than ourselves. And, and that word that is translated as consider, it, it's an accounting term. It's a mathematical term. It means to count or to weigh or to, sign, to, to assign a value to something. It's this act of word, that, that I've sat down, that I have given some thought, that I recognize the innate value of the person that is in front of me, and I'm going to treat them that way. We've all been in situations where we have treated others better than ourselves. If you've ever gone to a wedding, you've done this. That is the bride's day. When you walk in the room, not one person stands up. But as soon as the bride opens up that door, everybody stands up and looks back there. If you've, better, if you've ever been out to dinner with your boss, you've done the same thing. But when you're around someone that is more important than you, you defer to them. You, you don't hog all of the attention. You encourage them. You laugh at their jokes. There is a sense of awe. You find that you don't put yourself first, that you put them first. And Paul says, I, I want you to treat the people in your life like that. See them through that lens. Consider them more important than you. If I had to summarize today's message in one word, it would be the word others. So how others-focused are you these days? This has been a, a tough message for me this week because it gets right to the heart of my pride and my selfishness. And there were a few times this week that I wanted to cry uncle and and call in Andy and say, all right, lefty, get in there. And he said, no way, it's all yours. I, this is definitely one of those messages where I feel like I'm just a few days ahead of you in the journey on this because during the preparation this week, God just revealed some things in my life that really need some attention. If you're taking notes, here's the second way that we can live an others-focused mentality, and that is to value the needs of others. 
And, and what that means is, is that we enter into their worlds, that we take an active interest in what they find interesting. And you try to see the world through their perspective. And you try to identify ways that you can make them feel valued, that you can make them feel heard, appreciated, loved, understood. There are some friends, there are some family members, there are some co-workers where we are uniquely positioned in their life to be a source of God's love into their lives, a, a source of God's comfort in their lives, that we are uniquely positioned to be a vessel used by God to make them feel valued and loved and understood. And if we were to begin to look at our everyday relationships through that lens, I, I think it would be a game changer for us. You see, I, I am uniquely positioned in Sarah's life to meet certain needs that no one else can meet. So if I believe that is true, then what that means is that I need to make myself available to her so that I can understand her hopes and dreams and, and fears right now and, and that I can recognize some ways to help her. That means that I have to clear my calendar of my agenda and I need to make date nights a priority. It means that I need to turn off the TV and close the laptop and engage in meaningful conversation to really understand what some of these needs are so that I can place a value on them. I am uniquely positioned as the dad to my kids. And there are needs that can be met that only I can meet in their lives. So I need to be intentional in how I spend my time with them. And each of them is different. Each of them is a unique individual, and that means they have to be parented completely differently. And that's tough because th there are times when I get to the end of the day and I leave the office and I have nothing left in the tank and I just want to check out. But if I'm going to fulfill my role as a dad, then that means that I need to change my priorities a little bit and that I need to leave some things undone at work so that I can leave on time. And I, and I need to, to wisely use the time that I have with them in the evenings to understand where they are, to be in tune with what their goals are, what their aspirations are, what, what they're struggling with, what their hurts are that are going on in their hearts so that I can lead them, so that I can shepherd them, so that I can guide them and meet some of those needs that only I can meet in their life. Paul says that joy is found in walking through life with the mindset that I'm going to defer to your needs, that, that I'm going to place a higher value on your needs than on my needs. And then he continues in verse 5, he says that your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Our attitude is a small thing that can make a big difference in our lives, can it? Hey, so how's your attitude these days? How would the people that you live with and work with answer that question about how your attitude is these days? Could, could you say that you have the same attitude as, as Jesus does? You see, most of the list that you see out there about how, how to be happy in life will talk about having a positive attitude, but that, that's not exactly what Paul is talking about here. And it's not that, that having a positive attitude is, is a bad thing. Let, let's say that, that you didn't quite excel in high school. There are a couple of ways that you could explain that. You could say, yeah, I struggled in high school, and so I, I graduated in the bottom half of my class. Or you could say, I graduated in the half of the class that made the top half possible. <laughs> right? Right? You, you were just always serving their needs. You, you wanted to help them reach their goals. Two totally different attitudes, right? There's nothing wrong with having a positive attitude, but that, that's not exactly what Paul is talking about here. He says 
that our attitude should be the same as Jesus. When you think about your relationships and how you approach those relationships, that we need to look to Jesus as our model, that we need to take our cues from him on how he treated others in his life. And here's what he did, if you're taking notes, is that we need to embrace a lifestyle of servanthood. And in these next few verses, Paul is going to unpack for us this vivid picture of what servanthood really looks like. Let's take a look at verse 6. He starts off and he says, Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Jesus was God. He was always the most important person in the room. But Paul says that he didn't grasp at it. Another translation translates it this way, that that he didn't use it for his own advantage. That he didn't use his power, his status, his deity. He never leveraged it for for his own interests, for his own advantage. And all of us, all of us have some area of our lives where we are the most important. We're the most important person. It might be at home, might be at work, it might be on the committee that, that you find yourself sitting on. And there's something in us that wants to grasp at that, that wants to leverage that position, leverage that status for our own good, for our own benefit. And Paul says, I want you to think like Jesus, who even though he was always the most important person in the room, he refused to use that for his own good. Paul is telling us that that relationships are never, never meant to be leveraged for our own benefit. And I love the the picture that he paints here in verses 7 and 8. He says, But Jesus made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus made himself nothing. He didn't cling to his right for glory or power. He humbled himself, and he became a servant. That means that that he willingly put himself under someone. He put himself under us. He put our interests above his own needs, and he laid aside his rights, and he laid aside his privileges, and he willingly went to the cross to meet our deepest need of forgiveness and a relationship with God. He put relationship over his rights. And in each of our relationships, we will have that exact same choice. We can demand to get our way. We can demand to get our rights met. Or we can choose to love the other person by meeting their needs. We can choose to humble ourselves, to voluntarily put ourselves under them, and serve them. We can choose to value the relationship over our rights. I'm learning more and more that that this attitude of of humble servanthood is the most important quality in a relationship. To make it a point where I find ways to put other people's needs above my own. That's what great marriages are made of. That's what great parent-child relationships are made of. That's what great boss-employer relationships are made of, to get to a point where I make it my goal to make them better, to make them feel more secure, more loved. And Paul concludes this passage by painting what God's reaction is to a life of servanthood. Look at what he says in verses 9 through 11. 
says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It says that God looked at his servanthood and where, where he was humble and he exalted him to a highest place. Jesus would, would say the same thing when he was talking to his disciples in Matthew 23. He says that whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. You see this throughout Scripture, that there is this promise that when we choose a life of serving others, that we place ourselves in a position where God will lift us up where we get to experience His joy, where we get to experience His pleasure in our lives. Paul tells us that the key to having lasting joy is to make your life, to make my life all about serving others. And if we ever needed a model, we have our Savior who says, follow me. I I want you to love others the way that I have loved you. I, I want you to take the form of a servant and I want you to humbly serve the people around you because that's how my kingdom operates. And I'm convinced that the primary reason that God calls us to a life of humble servanthood it is not just because it meets the needs of other people, but it's because of what happens to us when we serve. You see, I, I need to serve so that I can empty myself of these joy killers. I, of selfishness and conceit, because if I don't, if instead I I grasp at what God has given me, if instead I leverage what God has given me for my own advantage to help me climb the ladder, to gain more possessions, to gain more status, then what will happen is I will get consumed with myself, and I, I will get consumed with my ambition and with comparison, and I will get increasingly dissatisfied with this life, and I will get more obsessed with gaining more, and it will not go well for me. I need serving so that I can become less addicted at getting my own way all the time, that that it's a way for me to get myself out of the center of my own little universe. I need serving in my life so that I can stay connected to God's bigger purposes around me. And here's the thing, if I can serve others often enough and cheerfully enough and, and out of the limelight, then there will come a day when, when I will do it without thinking, without thinking, man, what a great job I did there. And it will just become more natural for me, and, and I will begin to experience the joy of doing what God created me to do, to be a vessel of His love and His mercy so that others around could experience His love. The key to finding the joy that you want in your marriage the key to finding the joy that you want in those relationships with your kids, the joy that you want to find from work, it's only found in taking on the form of a servant and valuing others more than yourself. So where does this land on you? On you, not the person that you've been elbowing the entire message. Where does this land on you? How can you begin to serve the people that you love the most. And if you're like me, sometimes those are the hardest ones to serve, aren't they? That the ones that you live with day in and day out oftentimes are the ones that are the most difficult to serve. So how do we begin to move the serving needle in our lives? One of the reasons that we are so passionate around here about, uh, about serving in ministry is, is that 
It's a way of strengthening your serving muscles. That, that's why one of the best next steps that you can do in your life is to get plugged into a serving community around here because what it'll do is it'll prepare you to be a servant at home and at work and at school Monday through Saturday. We've been talking all morning about what it means to, to put others first, but I, I want to show you a video here about someone that is choosing to do that very thing. Take, take a look at this video. My name is Eric, and I'm currently serving in the kindergarten through third grade Ridge Kids area as a second grade boys small group leader. Um, on any given Sunday, we could have from seven to 15 uh, in the class, uh, so it really gets busy in a hurry. There's nothing like having to teach others uh, to get you more into the word. Being part or being a small group leader for Ridge Kids uh, has given me an opportunity to pass on what I've learned, and it also gives me an opportunity to help young lives grow and uh, build their relationship with Christ. I serve because I see it as being part of the church. Uh, the growth and ministries here at River Ridge only happen through volunteers who step up and do the good work. I want to see that growth continue to happen, and I want to be a part of it wherever I can. You might still be thinking, where could I start? Well, I have a few questions that come to mind that might help. Can you smile and say hello? Do you like to make coffee? Can you direct crazy drivers into their parking spaces? Do you like to hold babies? If so, River Ridge has a place for you to start and use those finely honed skills. I encourage you to take the next step and serve. I want you to be a part of this growing ministry here at River Ridge. You could come up to the second floor of the original building to our newly renovated warehouse and be a singer dancer slash small group leader, just like me. It's much easier to take care of 15 second grade boys with two adults. Most of all, you get a chance to lead young lives to Christ and there is no greater Does that look like a happy guy? I mean, anybody that knows Eric, I mean, I think it's practically in, he's practically incapable of doing something without a smile on his face. He, he loves serving people. He loves serving Jesus and his church. He's found the key of, to lasting joy is by putting God and others first in his life. Um, in the seat backs in front of you, if you are interested in taking that next step, um, we want to make it real easy for you. Um, take those out. You can look and see. All, I mean, there's all kinds of ways to get plugged in around here. You, you know yourself best on what that might look like. Mark a few ways that, that you think might work in your life. And on your way out, put it in a bucket. And all that's, all that's committing you to is a phone call from one of our ministry leaders. We'll answer any questions. We'll get you trained up. And we'll get you into a place where you can begin grasping at what it means to be a servant here. That we, we can help you grow in in servanthood so that when you leave here, when you leave here on Sunday, you, you go home better prepared to serve your family, to love them well, to, to value them and value their needs above your own. I would highly encourage you. I think this is a crucial step in the life of a believer that wants to experience joy. And we want to make an opportunity for you to be able to grow those muscles here on a Sunday morning. And then 
to be able to step into your family, to be able to step into work, to be able to step into those relationships that you have with family members or a neighbor, and to put into practice these things. It is what leads to lasting joy when we find ways to elevate their needs above our own. It's a life that God has called us to, and He promises that if we will do that, that He will exalt us, that He will lift us up and put us in a place where we can experience His joy and His pleasure in our lives. Let me pray for us. God, we recognize that this is so much easier to talk about than to actually do. So would you give us a snapshot of what it is that we need to do differently? How we need to talk differently? How we need to listen differently? Is there a new habit that we need to develop in our lives? Is there a way for us to look at people the way that, that you look at people, to see the innate value that they have and to consider them and to treat them as more important. God, that's what you did for us when you sent Jesus, when he came and elevated our needs above his own. God, and you've called us to a life that mimics that. So help us, God, to, to see the opportunities, but more importantly, to have the courage and the boldness to follow through, to humble ourselves and to lift others up. God, thank you for the example of Jesus. Thank you for the grace that comes as a result of his sacrificial attitude towards us. God, help us to follow in his footsteps. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, we've got a few minutes. Fill, that, fill these cards out if, you, if you'd like. Drop them off in the buckets out there. Also, if you are interested in serving in some capacity with uh, Churches Lift the Building as a project manager, Tim will meet you over in the Next Steps room. We'll see you back here next week.